0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analyst, the only podcast that counts as a substantial meal. My name is Cameron MacDonald, and I've spent the last three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co host, Rupert Meadows, has written a broadcast about all things football on platforms such as Talksport Radio and YouTube Sport. But above all else, we're fans.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. And this was a game week that had it all, from big teams clashing to upsets and comebacks and a return to the Manchester City that we have grown accustomed to as they won 5-0 against Burnley.
0: Yeah, this was a kind of classic city. I think we both called this last week. It's what they always do. They get humiliated by a big side and they lose a game, or sometimes not even a big side, but they lose a game they, they don't feel they should have lost. And then they roll up to the Etihad the following week and just absolutely pound some unsuspecting, undeserving smaller side. Whether it's, you know, Watford 8 nil last season, I think, came after a game that they shouldn't have lost. And Burnley, um, this isn't the first time that Burnley have lost 5 nil to City. They've actually lost 5 nil on their last four visits to the Etihad. Um, so, <laughs> you know, consistency from Burnley at least.
1: Which is what they'll be hoping for at this point. Uh, yeah, I definitely was... Uh, it's one of those ones where right before the match you're kind of wincing and closing your eyes and can't look away, but really, really dreading for, for Burnley's sake what is to come. Um, I think it was always going to be a, a dangerous game. I actually uh, didn't think it was going to be as much of a riot because... Just because, I, I don't know, it has felt like City have not been playing the way that they normally do. Um, so... You know, it's good to see that they still have that. It's good to see that they don't always need Aguero, even if it was against a side that is having a really tough season. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, let's start with him.
0: Yeah, Great well, I mean, game. He, he loves this fixture. I mean, I was talking earlier about how, you know, City love to pound Burnley, and over the last seven games played uh, since the 20th of October 2018, there's an aggregate score between these two sides of 28-1. Um, and Riyad Mahrez loves this fixture. He scored a brace last time they played at the Etihad. Um, and him and Kevin De Bruyne were really taking advantage uh, in this game of the chance to just play a weaker side. Um, and, you know, it's something that they definitely struggled with last week. They looked very frustrated against uh, Tottenham um, and they just haven't looked as fluid as sometimes you might expect from players of that calibre. Uh, recently so especially for Riyad Mahrez who is more in and out of that team than Kevin De Bruyne is certainly Uh, it was good to get a hat-trick it's always good to get a hat-trick for any player but you know especially right now
1: so it has been suggested that Riyad Mahrez is someone that absolutely needs consistent game time do you think that that's true and do you think that you know if Pep wants to see more results like that he needs to be starting him in more games?
0: I think that the, the statement that people need consistent game time is kind of a moot It's kind of a, moot kind of a universal so I, 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 thing. Like yeah, I think it's true, true it. of any player. You, you get a couple of players who are really, really good at bouncing back from injury or, or a period out or some time on the bench. But I would say that's more the anomaly than anything else. Pretty much every player at, the, at, at any level uh, benefits from getting a chance to, you know, build some of that consistency, uh, and also just, you know, establish, you know, relationships with the other players in your team and build that connection. So, yeah, I think it's true of Morris, but it, it's also true of every player.
1: That's fair. Um, and yeah, I mean, do you think this is a turning point for Manchester City, or do you think that really this is also a reflection of where Burnley are at?
0: Uh, I think it's the latter and it'll be you know interesting they're gonna play Fulham uh again at the Etihad next weekend uh and that is probably going to be another massive massive stomping do I think that city are the team to beat in the league this at the moment are they the best team in the league no i'm I'm not particularly convinced that they are um I think this is something that they often do they will happily just Steamroll these lesser sides, and that is where Burnley are at the moment. They are a lesser side. They are one of the candidate, one of the strongest candidates right now um, to be going down. So I, I don't think that you can take a huge amount away. We, we didn't really learn anything from this match, especially because it's a match that's happened three times before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think personally, the the main thing I felt like I learned was just that Burnley rolled over, and you know they they came up against a side that has been struggling in City. They've not been playing the way they normally have, and they just let Kevin De Bruyne do what he hasn't been doing recently and completely dictate play, run the show.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. But I think Burnley have been, you know, it's the same thing Burnley rolled over, but that's not exactly a new look for them this season. It's been a pretty difficult year.
1: Well, and it's it's only going to get harder if they continue to not put in 100% and, and not, you know, challenge teams that are in bad places. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I think they probably are looking like the most set on along with Sheffield perhaps, to go down.
0: Yeah, and even, and I say this very tentatively because obviously every team uh, in that sort of relegation zone at the moment has had some pretty bad performances, but even your Sheffield and your Fulhams and your West Broms have shown glimpses of you know, of promise. They've had little periods, 10 minutes here or there, and sometimes... Whole games, um, as we'll get on to later with Fulham, but little glimpses of, of, you know, redemption. Whereas I just haven't seen that from Burnley. Um, there's not been a single minute where I've looked at them and gone, oh, okay, that's you know, that's quite something from Burnley.
1: Oh, absolutely. They they really need some new ideas and um, hopefully some new blood in January. Uh, moving into another five-goal game, but one in which they were shared uh, between two teams: Southampton two, Manchester United three. What a comeback! Just like the uh, games of old. 90 minutes and two extra
0: yeah no exactly it was a really really interesting game um obviously the main talking point that we'll get onto in a second was when man united brought on edinson cavani um you asked me last week if i thought there's any reason he shouldn't be starting and i said no chance uh, he absolutely should be starting he's absolutely the kind of player uh, that they need but before we get into that looking at southampton's goals, uh both of those I-, I was kind of like you know they've been great Set-piece delivery from James Ward-Prowse. A nice corner uh, and obviously a good free kick. But both of them, David De Gea has got to do better for me. Um, The first one comes in and he kind of just stands there and doesn't... He runs towards the ball and then sort of stops when it comes close to him and it just it allows it to be headed over him. He didn't even sort of jump in the air or try and thrust his hands over the players in front of him to, you know take advantage of the one thing the keeper gets to do ahead of everyone else, which is use your arms. Uh, And then the second one, he gets a hand to it, and fine, it's a very well-delivered free kick, so maybe it's a little bit difficult, but he kind of palms it into the side of his own net. And I was watching that, and I was like, a good keeper would have saved at least one of those two. A great keeper would have saved both. David De saved neither.
1: Definitely. And, you know, I think, um, we can safely say that your feelings were shared by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as he brought off David De Gea in the 46th minute to replace him with Dean Henderson. The one very small carry out that I do want to put in here is that he did have a little injury break in the, the kind of the 35th minute as well. But this could well be the end of David De Gea's consistent first team career. I mean, he has been dropped from the Spain starting lineup quite a lot recently and Dean Henderson is nipping at his toes he had an amazing season last year and I think personally I would absolutely start him over David De Gea at this point
0: yeah I agree I think it's insane that he hasn't been handed a league start yet David De Gea This is not the first game that he's had this season where he's, you know, obviously didn't actually cost them points today, but he he really put their feet over the fire by letting him go two down early on. Um, And it's not the first time he's done that this season. If he keeps starting, I'd be willing to bet that it won't be the last. I just think that he has lost a lot of what what made him a great keeper back in the day. He doesn't play with a lot of confidence. He doesn't marshal his area. I don't know that he, you know, controls his back four very well. Whereas Dean Henderson, you just look at Sheffield this season versus last season And the impact of him on a back line is just you you can't even really possibly value that. Um, So the fact that he's not been getting the starts off the back of that is really surprising to me, especially because De Gea has had bad games this season. He was also not very good last season. So, you know, from United's point of view, hopefully they'll uh, they'll start handing starts to the better keeper um, and and that'll help them improve because at the back is where they've got their real issues. Now that they've figured out this Cavani, um, you know, where he fits into the system, going forwards, might not be a problem for much longer. Um, You know, Bruno Fernandes has been creating loads and loads of chances, but unfortunately it's been going to, you know, Rashford or Martial, who are decent attacking players, but not the clinical striker that Cavani is.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because looking at the the way the game panned out, I was definitely reminded of what you said in the past about Frank Lampard and how does he just make good tactical changes or is he just not, playing his best 11 at the start. And, you know, to see Edison Cavani and Dean Henderson both come on in the 45th minute, it does, you know, definitely rings, smacks of that. Um, I kind of thought to myself, well, if both of those players were starting, then it probably wouldn't have been 2-0 at halftime anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's just, you look at the players that they have, um, you know, Man United, Marcus Rashford and Mason Green were starting up front against a side that, you know, Carl Walker, and Ryan Bertrand are their fullbacks. Those are two pretty mobile fullbacks. They're not the kind of people who are going to get their blood absolutely twisted. What you want to go for there is like maybe one of those guys, but have him partnering a real sort of bulky, muscular, powerful, striking presence that can win the balls in the air, that can sort of power through if he gets into a sort of a 50-50 challenge. And you've got that guy sat on the bench. Unsurprisingly, as soon as he came on, he got a goal, and he got two goals and an assist and one them the game. So, yeah, it is that question. Why didn't he start?
1: time will tell whether or not Ole has learned his lesson um, but uh, things could be looking up for Manu. Uh, I mean they, they haven't been having a bad season so far but definitely it feels like they've got more gears that they could move into if they can just work out you know what their best starting 11 is and in an ideal world how to get the best out of Paul Pulper
0: yeah yeah that, that, that's the other piece of the puzzle that kind of like how you talked about Spurs and Dele Alley a couple of weeks ago um, not necessarily something they Need Paul Pogba? I mean, I don't think they're they're gonna be completely lost without him. But if they can add him at his full potential to their ranks as well, it's not gonna hurt. There's no way it can hurt. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, and an interesting development. Uh, of course, the other thing, um, it wasn't all positive for Cavani on the day. There was a little bit of a uh, snafu afterwards with a uh, post that he'd made. Uh, he had posted something post post game. And, uh, a, I think it was a friend of his, a South American friend had congratulated him and he'd responded, uh, using the term Negrito, which in Uruguay is like a term of affection. It, it literally translates to mean little black man. Um, and a lot of people have come out and been quite offended by it. Um, which I think is, it's a merits discussion because it's a more complex situation than it might seem.
1: Definitely in the sense that you know, it speaks to the cultural differences of players that play in different countries and how those situations need to be managed. For me, I think the main failing is in the Premier League in not educating its players well enough and also mm-hmm. in Manchester United because when you're integrating players from abroad, you need to teach them about the culture and part of that is how not to like, mortally offend people and it's not like this is a word which doesn't have a history in the Premier League. It's the same word used by Luis Suarez against um, Patrice Evra. And, you know, I, I think that clubs have a responsibility to make sure that their players don't do this.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's where the fault lies. Um, and I, I would want to underline that I do think, despite the fact there's similar language been used between Cavani and Suarez, the context in which they were said were very different, and that's important. But... It's like you say, players need to be correctly educated on, you know, what words are correct to use in different circumstances. It's kind of like, you know when you're growing up and you're a kid you learn that you can say some things in front of your friends that you might not say in front of your mum and dad or you might not say in front of teachers and it's the same thing here if you're a multi you know if you're someone on the grand stage you've got to kind of whether it's you know football or you could be a musician or an actor or something you've got to kind of understand that your words have weight and also a platform to the point where you've really got to be careful and curate everything that comes out um, you know whether it's a tweet or or something you say Um, so yeah I, I wouldn't I think some people have come out and been like, oh, God, you know, Suarez was a was a great racist and so is Cavani. I don't think Cavani's gone out there and been like, I'm going to try and be malicious. I do think that he could have used a bit more common sense.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like more of a cultural faux pas than a lashing out, but it's just such a shame to see, um, you know, such a performance marred by something like that afterwards in the, the post-game. Um, but... You know, the the Premier League still has a long way to go in terms of um, tackling racism. Um, And every time this kind of thing gets more awareness and gets more recognition and is, you know, people people say that's not okay, then hopefully we can keep trending towards getting better.
0: Yeah, onwards and upwards. And I think his response was very good. He came out immediately. He apologised. His apology was very sincere. The way he sort of you know, phrased it, he wasn't just, I'm sorry I said it, but he went, I'm sorry I said it. My last intention is to you know, disrespect anyone or make anyone feel small or anything like that, which I, I think he nailed all the key points. So, you know, Agreed. I think the positive way to look at this is a learning experience.
1: Definitely. Uh, and let's not stay too long on it. Let's move on to guessing game.
0: huh. you've got someone for me this week, haven't you?
1: I do indeed, yeah. I've got a couple of little clues for you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will see how you get on. I've continued with my thread of having them play with the person that we talked about last week. Okay. So they have played with Diego Forlan, as well as Didier Drogba, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and Ika Casillas. Other okay. clues are he is the most capped player for his country of all time. Mm. Mm? His nickname is, was, is the Sniper. I will double check because I'm actually not sure if he's still playing or not. So I don't want to give you a clue either way. <laughs> um, whether or not I got it wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think he's retired Um, so his nickname was The Sniper and Uh he also has quite an interesting little quote in which he said that he could have been as good as Messi or Ronaldo but he didn't want to give up wine
0: Hmm. could have been as good as Messi or Ronaldo I'm going to shorthand this
1: but wasn't willing to give up wine.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different directions that you've taken me in here. You've got obviously Zlatan, Forlan. having those players near Austin is just no clue to me really. They both had pretty, pretty uh, expansive careers. Uh, CS, I guess, helps me zoom in a little bit, but could be national level most capped player, the sniper. Could have been as good as Messi-Ronaldo. That that rings a bell, but it, I can't quite figure it out. Well, I've, I've got some time to shake loose, so...
1: Well, I can definitely give
0: you another player
1: or two if you are finding it tough and have guessed incorrectly later on.
0: All right, that sounds fair. Uh, moving into our next game, we had Arsenal with another really disappointing performance as they lost uh, 2-1 at home to Wolves, Um and it was just a really, really catastrophic performance. Um, you know, yet again, there are problems at the back. Burnt Leno is someone who, last season, he looked like he was getting better every game until he got injured. He looked like he was sort of slowly making the journey from being a good keeper to being a great keeper and someone they could rely on. And then he got injured and Emmy Martinez came in and... He's just come out this season and just looking nowhere near the keeper he was last season. And obviously, the immediate comparison is always going to be to Emi Martinez because the club have, have sold him. And it just feels to me like they sold the wrong keeper. Um, you know, the goal where he sort of deflects it off his shin straight back into the path of, uh, I think it's Pedro Neto for the first goal. It's just, that's keeping 101. If you're going to deflect it, try and deflect it anywhere but right back into the path of the attackers. Um and just, you know, this is not to say that it was only him who had a bad game. It was yet another 0 out of 10 performance from Willian. Bamiang looks like he just didn't really care. Um, you know, half the team just didn't look up for it. And the other half looked like they were never up for it in the first place. Yeah,
2: it's, it's an interesting one. I think you're right. Let's start at the back. I mean, this is going to sound like a weird um, thing, but I almost feel like Arsenal just completely got it wrong in that they sold the wrong keeper. But... It just feels like they they didn't listen to the story. It was such a nice, heartwarming thing for this goalkeeper who has been at the club for eight years, gone out on loan multiple times, slowly worked his way up through the ranks, had his breakout kind of half a season, looking like a really strong keeper, great at managing his defence, really commanding in the air, and then to go, great, so now we can sell you. And
0: and, and crucially as well, just to add on to that story, did all of that, came out of nowhere, had been in the club for ages, gets along really well with all of the squad, was a very popular guy and helped was a big part of the reason why they won a trophy last season.
1: Yeah, so I I personally agree with you that I I think he is better than Leno. I think the other thing that I would say is that it's not really a fair test because Leno now has no competition and Mm some
2: players can respond really badly to that, and it feels like maybe yeah. he has he knows his position is safe his his competition is was a runar runison Yeah,
0: runar R- 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 alex R- R- Runerson, yeah
2: um and you know just not anywhere near the same level um so it, it's a shame to see arsenal just never really quite got going in this game i mean um had a lot of possession didn't really do anything with it um Looked pretty toothless going forwards, pretty blundering in attack. Couldn't deal with the pace and strength of Adama Traore. Yeah, um, they definitely have a, a long road to go before they can get back to consistent top four standing.
0: It just seems to be square pegs in round holes for Arsenal. This is the fifth game in a row where they've had two shots on goal. Uh, fifth league game in a row, which is just appalling considering some of the players they've got. And I, you know, the problems at Arsenal do not begin and end with Mikel Arteta or any of this current crop of players at all. I think the problem goes much, much deeper and it's an administrative level and it's down to ownership and years of non-investment. So I can completely understand why Arsenal are not on the same level as Man City or Liverpool or Chelsea. But they should be better than some of the teams they have been losing to. And at the moment, that, you know, it was Roy Keane who made the joke. He was like, Oh, I think they've got enough to stay out this season. And he was joking, but that's kind of where Arsenal are at the moment. They're not even looking at, you know, winning the league or top four or even top six. They're trying to finish in the top half at this point. Um, and I just think it's the same mistakes being made every week by Arteta. The lineups are continually suspect. Aubameyang is finally playing as a striker after being on the wing for eight games. But, you know, he, there's no creation behind him. Willian starts every single game despite being, in my opinion, the bottom three performers every single game after Fulham. Um, you, you know, the sort of sitting back style and not getting any shots on goal has punished them time and again, and he keeps coming out with it. And I just think, you know, the really big miss here. Is that you know Aubameyang isn't isn't scoring and it's always bad for any team when your talisman player isn't performing. But for Arsenal, who are a team that have done this a lot, and especially with Aubameyang in in recent years, have just relied on one player to sort of just drag them along. As soon as he stops performing, Arsenal look like they're you know going to finish fourteenth fifteenth. And I I don't fully blame Aubameyang for not looking at the same player he was. Um, The exact same thing happened with Robin van Persie when he was at the club. Um, You know you've got to surround top-class players with other top-class players. And I remember Robin van Persie had this story where he'd gone to Arsene Wenger and he'd said, listen, I really want to win a Premier League with this club. I want to lead this club to great things, but we need to make signings. And he'd recommended to the club to sign uh, Raphael van der who was a teammate of his uh, internationally. And the club didn't go for it. And Robin van Persie just went, all right, well, I'm going to go leave for United. Immediately won the Premier League with them. And, you know, you, you wouldn't assume that if Heng his career is done... You'd bet pretty good money if he went to a different club next season that he'd score twenty league goals at least. Um, so it's just Arsenal not rewarding their players and, and incentivizing their good their their good performances.
1: You're right, and it's it's funny because I would always put it back the other way, and I would say that yeah, a lot was made of Arsene Wenger's lack of apparent ambition in the transfer market, and how you know if he wasn't under twenty and French, he wasn't interested, but. I look at the squad now and the starting lineup and it's even worse in terms of like who they're signing. Like they, I guess they've made a couple of big signings like um, Kieran Tierney for 25 million um, last year, for example. But look at the starting lineup, Joe Willock in attacking midfield. He's not good enough to be starting Premier League games. Bakayo Saka is good, but he is so young and so inexperienced that he needs to be getting 10, 15 games this this year, this season. Not relied on to perform consistently week in week out. Granite Xhaka consistently not good enough. David Luiz and Willian both like offcuts from Premier League sides. Like they've got Cedric Suarez who yeah, came down no, no, free from enough. Southampton. Al Ndiaye, Reece Nelson, Eben Ketia, All of these players are just not at a Premier League standard that you would expect. Some of them have some you know a good future, but they're not good enough.
0: Yeah, and then um, it's a future that's going to be scuppered by you know this sort of over reliance. And I think Saka is one player who I would personally say that Saka should be getting a, a lot more than fifteen games, just to, just in my opinion. I think he is a top player, but he's going to have his career ruined and his spirit broken basically by playing at this club if they don't you know foster a good environment for him. He will end up being you know like the next Hector Bellerin, who was you know a really 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 exciting fullback back in his day, and now is fine, but he's nothing special. Whereas, you know, compare that to, for example, Trent Alexander-Arnold, if you sur- surround these players with the right environment, you can yield a fantastic player or you can have someone who is a really, really bright prospect and never realised that potential.
1: True, true. Um, it's, it's a tough old time. Wolves, on the other hand, can be very proud of the fact that they managed to get three points with their star striker that they mm. so often rely on leaving from injury in the 15th minute. Um, we've talked about kind of... Pedro Neto and Daniel Podence both trying to fill the gap left by Dogo Jota and another goal each today. Um, the signs are there that they're not going to be performing at the same output as last year, but they could still, they're still going to finish probably top 10.
0: Yeah, and obviously Neto and, and, um, uh, and were the ones who got the goals, but Adama Traore was the one who was really impressive for me. He set up both of the goals. He didn't get the assist, but he got the the pre assist for both both of them. Um one with a really, really nice bit of skill and one by just turning on the Jets. It, it, more of him, please, Wolves, if you wanna um Well, yeah, he's been having people. a tough
1: season. Like, he's not really been starting. He's had a couple of injuries, he's never really kicked off and got going, so you know, fingers crossed for Wolves that this is, you know, his his re breakout game, not breakout game, but his comeback match.
0: Yeah, yeah, his his, his Renaissance or if, if you like. Um yeah, so 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 definitely very good for Wolves. Um absolutely sickening the uh Jimenez injury early on. No one's fault, but like, you could actually hear the crack over the crowd noise. I, I winced when I heard it. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um but it looks like he's he's recovering now, so best of best of uh best of wishes to him. So he gets gets well soon.
1: Definitely, and best wishes to Fabio Silva. Probably we, we should also uh, best wishes to Thomas Partey. Hope you get better soon. Um, yeah, yeah. Come back into the one. Arsenal lineup. I'm sure they'll they won't uh, they won't reject you. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, for sure. Um, moving into our next game, which was another uh, very frustrating game for one side. It was Brighton 1-1 Liverpool. Um, and before we even get into the specifics of the goals and would be goals. I just want to talk about how it wasn't even the kind of performance you'd expect for Liverpool. Brighton ended up in this game with twice as many shots as them. And if it wasn't for Neil Morpé putting a penalty wide, which, again, you never really see people missing penalties, and we've seen two in like three weeks, or three in three weeks, actually. Um, But yeah, he put a penalty wide. If it wasn't for that, they'd been chasing the game from early on. Absolutely. I mean, I obviously, you know, I feel like I always have to caveat...
1: um... Look, Talking about XG stats, we're saying that it is by no means the be-all, end-all of statistics. But 2.32 expected goals for Brighton,
0: 0.27 for Liverpool. I mean, there you go. And, and I agree with you, it's good to have that disclaimer. But th- this was a game where they didn't look likely to score. And it was only because uh, a fantastic bit of individual brilliance from Diogo Jota, um, that They did manage to get ahead. Um, and he, interestingly... Uh, I mean, it's not. this isn't news, but I think we could look back at him as the signing of the season um, by the end of this year because it's one thing to carve out a place in that Liverpool front three, but he's done one step more in his argument. I don't know if improved it is the word, but he's definitely just added more to it. He's got nine goals. He's
1: become a match winner.
0: Yeah, it's quality, quality. And and, and could have been today uh, were it not for the penalty at the end, which I'm interested to hear your uh, take on because it has... Parallels for me with what we were talking about last week with the Conor Gallagher and Trezeguet incidents, Um, although it's kind of in reverse here. So, if you recall last week, I was saying that if it was down to me, I would have the rule be such that if there's contact with the ball, but they clatter the player and the player would have kept the ball, it should be a pen. I think the reverse was true here. They sort of clash feet and they sort of hit boots, and maybe, you know, Welbeck gets a little bit hard done by, but. It's not because of that that he loses control of the ball and it, nothing's given at the moment. All of the ex-players who were watching it and, and commenting on it said the same thing and it's just because it gets taken back to VAR and over-analysed very forensically was what Peter Walton was saying and also Peter Crouch that it gets given as a penalty which I thought was not really... I thought that was very unlucky. Um, w- what do you think?
1: I think that you've drawn parallels with last week. I would draw parallels with Liverpool and that Mo Salah penalty that we, we argued about again. um, Mm. I can't remember exactly who it was against, but literally the exact same um, result and the exact same challenge. So kind of feel like if Liverpool benefited from that this time, they didn't that time, at least it's consistent for Liverpool and at least it's consistent from the referees. But it does seem like, you know, something needs to be done to stem the tide of, of penalties because it's getting a little ridiculous the amount that have been awarded
0: already this season. Um, but... not, just pe- not just penalties, just bad decisions. I, I, I'm so sure we never had this many decisions that were, like, viewed as incorrect broadly by fans before the are, and now that we have it, it's got worse, weirdly.
1: Well, I feel like. You know, maybe maybe the main thing is things like offside, I think, have ma- massively changed because, I don't know, watching Match of the Day, for example, like four or five years ago, every week there was one or two games where an offside goal was given or wasn't given that would have changed a game. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it's not like these problems haven't been around. It's just a new set of problems. and
0: Yeah, and under a magnifying glass, perhaps, because of the sort of change in system.
1: Yeah I think the the main thing is I I I haven't heard of any sort of training that these referees underwent in order to be able to determine the difference between seeing things in slow motion and live I I just I don't know what preparation they did or what the the referees association has done to make sure that they are confident in making decisions with this new software because We've talked about it a bunch. Like you just, it's just completely different at half speed or at quarter speed or as slow as they get it. Um,
0: and yeah, and removing the the context, which is what Peter Walton said, and he was a Premier League referee himself between 2003 and 2012. And he, his quote was he just went, "They've completely taken the contact out of context to award the penalty." I think that's true. They they zoomed in and slowed down and isolated one aspect of the passage of play because that would mean there'd be a penalty. Um, so. Yeah, maybe you could say, given the way that Liverpool have had some other decisions, uh, like that Salah against West Ham one, it's it's calmer. But for me, in a, in a vacuum, which is the only way you can view these things, it was the incorrect decision.
1: It's uh, it's it's just a decision. Like I don't think it's correct or incorrect because it, it, the reason why we're arguing about it is that it's in that gray area. Yes, he gets touched. Yes, it didn't mean that he needed to go down. Has it historically been a penalty? Sometimes like that.
2: I don't know. I just think that a line needs to be drawn. Yeah. No, no, no,
0: fair. And we need the, consistency. The other thing that was really interesting uh, about this game was what happened after the game. We had an absolutely legendary um, post-match presser. Uh, I almost want to call it like a, a bout between Jurgen Klopp and Des Kelly. Um, because James Milner came off with a hamstring injury, uh, Des Kelly asked Jurgen Klopp, "Or oh, you know, like what's going on?" And he replied, "It's his hamstring. Congratulations to you." And then just proceeded to lambast Des Kelly and the broadcasters for allowing Liverpool to play at twelve thirty, which was just—I've I- never quite seen anything like it. Firstly, just because of the way the rules work, managers tend to be fairly reserved, even if they're pissed off, they kind of sort of clip themselves. The Jürgen Klopp just went both barrels. And fair play to Deskelly, Kelly. He gave it back, which was really entertaining. Um, I, just yeah, think well, I kind Jürgen of feel Klopp like that's right. why it
1: became a fight, because, you know, he just increasingly got more and more passive aggressive until Deskelly Kelly was like, what do you mean? What mm. are you saying? So he had to respond and had to elaborate. And, and that's why he got as heated as he did.
0: Yeah, I thought it was unbelievable watching it happen. I, for what it's worth, I did think Jürgen Klopp was right. Um, I do think it's ridiculous that you have these teams that have to play in midweek and have to play, you know, whether it's a Tuesday, or Wednesday or a Thursday, you've got these teams playing in European competition and then they get the earliest slot. Like, for example, this weekend, you had the Brighton-Liverpool game was at 12.30 and then Sheffield-West Brom was at 8 p.m., I don't see why they couldn't just swap those two time slots around if they knew that Liverpool had played on Wednesday, or they couldn't give the 12.30 to someone who had played on Tuesday. Um, I get it's because, you know, BT have paid so much money. I think it was uh, it works out at about ten, £100,000 rather a minute of the 12.30 game because I think they're paying £9 million per game in that time slot. But prioritising cash over player safety is just never something that I'm going to support. Uh, and I think most fans of the game would, would agree with that.
1: Yeah, but what I don't get is if ever there was a time to have Saturday like big Saturday evening games, surely it's during lockdown when no one's doing anything. Like I get why normally more people would watch a game if it was at twelve thirty, but really now, what else am I doing it's on Saturday evening apart from watching, you know, Liverpool play football?
0: Well, I mean, this is exactly it, and, and Saturday at eight is is one that's especially. Um you know, it's because of lockdown that people aren't going to going out. But I also thought the same about, because as I was reading about it and reading about why it is that BT and, and Sky value these slots, apparently the 12.30 is, like, the real premium slot. And I was like, really? Over 3 o'clock or 5.30? Because, like, most there's a big overlap between the people who watch football on a Saturday and the people who have gone out on a Friday in normal circumstances. That Venn diagram's kind of like a circle. So you're really going to go for the 12.30 game? For the, a lot of people are still going to be asleep. You would think so. I mean, obviously, three PM
1: kickoffs are uh, there's not too much revenue in in those at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it, it does seem strange. And the main thing is, as you mentioned, like West Brom played Sheffield at eight o'clock, and you know why why can't they be there? It just kind of feels to me like they just work out the fixtures by like by a, a computer program. Mm-hmm. And then don't go through them at all with a fine-tooth comb to go, well, Liverpool are playing on Wednesday. Maybe they shouldn't be playing the early kickoff, And obviously, you know, those kind of clubs suffer as a result.
0: Yeah, it, it would, I think it's so weird because it would be such an easy fix to look at this game, you know, have a team of people that look at the games ahead of every weekend and just go, oh, okay, let's switch these two games around. It's not going to cause any real trouble if we give them enough advance warning. If, if Sheffield and West Brom had both found out on Wednesday that they were going to be playing at 12 instead of 8, would that have massively disadvantaged them? I don't think so. And it would have potentially saved, you know, James Milner's hamstrings, um, which just from a neutral perspective, you don't want to see players get injured. We need to take care of James Miller's
1: hamstrings, Cam. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I love that man. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I just, actually, kind of the way I've been thinking about it as well is that it basically just needs to be more flexible and more changeable week in, week out, because based on whether or not teams progress in different competitions, they will have more or less time between games, and that needs to be an evolving thing as the season
0: evolves. And, and but what's weird is that sometimes it is like Man United and Man City didn't have to play the first game week, but then Liverpool have had to play it. Tw- like so, you can see why Jurgen Klopp's getting quite annoyed.
2: Well, it's not the uh, it's not the first um, big decision that hasn't gone Liverpool's way this this year for sure. Um, yeah, it. I don't think there's any real justification for why they couldn't play on a Sunday.
0: Yes, hmm. yeah, yeah a Sunday I mean, or, in this or even eight.
2: Instant, at least.
0: Uh, yeah, no. No, no, no I, th- I think that's true. Um, so, you know, a b- bit of a shame to see it, but, you know, <laughs> great, great entertainment watching Jurgen Klopp pop off. Um, well, it
1: was, and, and you know, they they should be happy to have got even a point from it because they could have gone away with nothing.
0: Looking at our next game, which was an interesting one for a number of reasons, despite the fact that it was only 0-0, that being Chelsea-Spurs, uh, and when we talked about this game and also about Spurs' season so far last week... I sort of said that I thought this game could end up giving us the answer to whether Spurs are a threat or not and whether they're a credible title of contender. Um, and I don't think a draw, you know, being very even has, has given us a definitive answer one way or the other. What it has done for me is suggested that maybe Chelsea aren't as good as I thought they were and have a bit of a way to go until they're a bit of a title threat. Um you know, today they couldn't really do a thing against a Mourinho game plan that we all knew was coming from a mile off. Spurs were playing Joe Rodon, who was completely untested at centre-back alongside Eric Dyer. Um And it was a kind of game where you would have thought that an ambitious team that wants to win things would have been trying to put pressure on that back line. Uh, and Frank Lampard came out after the game and by his own, his own ambition, he said, you know, I was quite worried about the counter-attack. We know what they can do. They're very quick. And we saw something really similar from this um like this from Chelsea when they went to Old Trafford. I think it was in game week six where I think we were both talking about it and it was Chelsea were just trying not to lose the game. And that's not a mindset that's going to take you places if you want to be winning trophies. If you're too worried about winning games to the point where you're going to forfeit the chance to win them, you're just going to get a slew of one points and and, and never the big wins you need, especially to get above these rivals on the table.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I think that there's a real lack of ambition from both sides. I think both sides went in willing to accept a draw, and ultimately, that's what they got. Um, you're right in that, yeah. Um, Lampard needs to set up his sides differently. It's not what the neutral wants to see. They want both teams like going at it, clashing. Um, I think that it's Mourinho. He's always going to go and try and grind out a nil-nil or a one-nil away mm. from home against a former side, but. Yeah, you, you would expect Chelsea with the form that they have to be looking to win the game, and Lampard has, as you sh- as you said, kind of in the past and and this week shown that he maybe doesn't have the necessary guts quite yet to um, to win a prem. Uh, I do also just think that he made some tactical mistakes um, looking at the lineups. Uh, I mean, personally, I don't know why you would start Timo Werner because Spurs are always going to employ a low press. And it's not that Timo Werner is completely stopped when he can't run into space, but his effectiveness definitely goes down. I think someone like Kai Havertz could have done a much better job. He's six foot two. Get him into the box on the back post, on those Rhys James crosses and Hakim Ziyech through balls. Um, and I also think Olivier Giroud could probably have started over Tammy Abraham as a yeah. better target man and a better end hundred
0: 100% as soon as Olivier Giroud uh, came on he just changed the game and I thought this is the kind of you know this is the striker you need to be playing against a Mourinho team when your best chances are often going to be pinging balls into the box because his entire back line is starting about a centimeter away from their own goal um, and you said you know there you were like oh neither neither manager went into the game looking to win it which is true but I think the implications that you can take from that are very, very different because Chelsea are playing at home. They've got this really, really exciting team with lots of options to draw from and Spurs were firstly playing at the bridge, which is going to be, it's one of the more difficult games for anyone in their season. So if you can even get a point here, that's pretty valuable. And they were also missing their best centre-back. So the fact that they've come and still managed to get a result here is not three points, but it's still a point that a lot of people and a lot of teams are going to be getting nothing from this fixture. So I think a draw was a good result for Spurs, um, whereas it was quite a bad result for Chelsea.
1: Very true. Yeah, I think um, they definitely need to grow a bit more backbone. And I'm sure that will come with time. But as you said, it might mean that it's not their year this year. I think the only thing that they can take from it, which is a positive, is that they kept Harry Kane extremely quiet. Um which yeah, is that, a good that, thing, where they good. started the season with defensive troubles, and it's looking like at least when Thiago Silva's in the side, that will not be the case always.
0: Um, yeah, but- Thiago Silva's definitely improved the way Chelsea play at the back, and, and was very good in this game. But you would hope to use that as a jumping-off point, you know, to to then get the win. Oh, we've kept Harry Kane quiet, and we also scored a goal, and 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 that's you know that's that's our game plan coming fruition. Instead, it was wow, you've done a really really good job stopping Harry Kane. To what end, though? Um, so, there was that. Um, moving into a bit of useless trivia before we get into the second half of our games. Uh, this week, I have gone for a little bit of an observation about managers, and uh, perhaps, you know, just 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 a small assertion that maybe managers are a little bit self-interested and narcissistic. Um, and that's because I've got a selection of managers that have named their sons after them. Sam Allardyce uh, has a son who is also called Samuel Allardyce. Tony Pulis' son is Anthony Pulis. And just to show you that it's not just our English managers, the man himself we were just discussing, Jose Mourinho, has not only a son called Jose Mourinho, but also a daughter that he named after his wife.
1: I mean, personally, I always find it a little bit strange when someone calls their... uh their son or daughter after themselves, it feels like a bit of an in-ego boost. Um, you know, obviously I'm talking about the UK here and not other countries which have different, you know, heritage and traditions uh, in terms sure. of like the passing down of names. But yeah, it's, it's quite funny. Um, I didn't know <laughs> that about Jose Mourinho. I've heard the Tony Pulis one before, which I love because like the idea that Tony Pulis has like all of this confidence and arrogance is hilarious to me. Um <laughs>
0: I just think it's so funny that like, it's pretty rare when you see that, someone who's named their son after them. Anytime you meet a junior, you're just like, okay, so your parents don't really think you're a person. They just think you're like a carbon copy of them. And three (laughs) Hello, smaller me. Well, right. And three different four. And you know what I'd be willing to bet as well? This was just when I was doing a bit of research, I found this out. I'd be willing to bet everything that if we look through all the other current Premier League managers, there'll be at least one more who's named their son after them.
1: Well, Cam, should we put a pint on it?
0: I'm having to put a point on it.
1: Let's do it. Okay, well, I mean, I'm sure you're right, but happy to, to participate. Um, more to follow next
2: week. Um,
1: <laughs> that is a good stat. I uh, I came across a pretty wild stat myself um, this week, which I quite enjoyed, which is that in their entire history as a club, Crystal Palace have never won a league match on a Friday.
0: Wow. that's That's very weird. D- They're d- in their d- entire history. I was, I was just thinking that, man, I was like, "Oh, Friday games are kind of rare," but then they've been at club for like 126 years. It's pretty well, isn't it? That's insane. And that's at first when you read that, I was like, "It's one of those stats, you know." People were um, when we had the back end of the season last week, It was such a weird time. People were going like, "Oh, it's 73 years since Norwich have won on a, on a in August." And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. "But Friday, it's just like Jesus." Well, they must, they must be treading. I'm mean, amazed they weren't the ones popping off um, about when they had to play in the week and it was Jurgen Klopp instead. Well, you'd think so, yeah. Uh,
1: so I went back and checked just because I, I wasn't sure if, you know, were Friday fixtures more prevalent now than um, than they were. But, you know, still at the advent of the Premier League, there were there were Friday fixtures, um, you know, back through the years, there were Friday fixtures. So, yeah, um, just one of those bizarre old things that, that crops up.
0: Yeah, well, it's like the old adage that um, Thomas Muller picked up this week. Uh, you, you know, the old can they do it on a, on a rainy night in Stoke. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. he, he was like, what is it you British people say? Can you do it in a windy one in Stoke? Uh, and maybe the question should be, can you do it on a cold day at Selhurst Park on Friday? Because Crystal Palace can't.
1: <laughs> because if so, you're better than Palace.
0: <laughs> if so, you must be any team other than them.
1: Well, Crystal Palace were definitely uh, the lesser of the two sides when they met on Friday. Um, and came out 2-0 the losers.
0: Yeah, that they were. And I think it was another thing we talked about last week about how both of these sides are very erratic and very form-driven, and it would all come down to, you know, whichever side's best players had eaten their Weetabix. Um, Callum Wilson definitely had a really, really good game. Uh, Came late, but that's the kind of thing you need, a player who can keep sort of knocking at the door until very late on. Uh, And it was also a surprisingly good performance from Joe Linton, who has not really been that good for them so far. Last week... Um, I don't think I got round to it, but I had a whole thing just absolutely lambasting him because of the performance he had, which obviously motivated him. Just the fact, the knowledge that I was thinking about it motivated him to score today. Not so we scared Patrick Bamford into form. That
1: must have been it.
0: <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I think that's, um, you know, his movement was really, really good. His goal was a little bit lucky because it got deflected, but he showed some real, real quality to sort of drop the shoulder, dip inside quite nicely and get into that position in the first place uh, and also got the assist for the first one. Um And he's one of those players that, you know, if he can get it together, if he can sort of start to look like even half the player that Newcastle thought they were buying, will be a massive game changer for them.
1: He can do. I mean, I think, I'm not, you know, holding my breath. I personally think it was a terrible goal in terms of the finish itself. He had a great game all round. Yes, he got an assist. He was making good runs, putting himself in good positions. I think... It could well be a a big match for him because he picked up a little injury in the beginning of the first half, overcame it, pushed through, performed really well. Um, could well could well be it. Um, you know, more of the same. But for me, it's a little too early to be uh, singing his praises just yet.
0: No, I, I I agree. I was saying more just hypothetically that it's an area that Newcastle definitely need. Bodies in more than most. Obviously, Callum Wilson's come in, but no man's an island. He needs a strike partner. Um, I wouldn't be holding my breath for Andy Carroll to step into that role. And Alisson Maximan is a really, really good player, but I think they get more value out of him playing him sort of a little bit further back to be more of a creative force. So, you know, it, it's this one game is by no means cause for everyone to go, "Oh, Joe Linton, he's the next Messi." But it's good to see him have a good game, and hopefully, he can build on it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um. The other main point to bring up is just how inconsistent uh, Crystal Palace have been. Um, obviously, they were today without not only Wilfred Zaha but also Luka Milivojevic. But you know, where where do you get off losing to Burnley one nil the week after you beat Crystal? Uh, you beat Leeds four um, <laughs> no, one. Now Newcastle two 0 right? It's just it's it's a real roller coaster for them, isn't it? Up and down.
0: Yeah, it really is, and that that can sometimes be very, very worrying, especially when and we've we've called back to this a few times, but only because I think it's relevant, but if you look at their sort of fortunes at the end of last season if you can't establish any sort of consistency, that's when you're very vulnerable to have these absolute dips in form that just spiral out of control Um, So yeah, it's weird that I guess they were both later goals, but it's just weird that they let the game run away from them so easily. Um, when it did start to get out of their hands, and they were just sort of looked frustrated all day, weren't really getting any meaningful chances going. You know, they they, they just didn't didn't really come to the races.
1: They did not. Um, nor did Everton in their one 0 loss to Leeds.
0: Yeah, and Everton, again, are a team that everyone looks at, and I think we've all sort of pretty much got this from early on in the season. They have a really, really good first eleven, and not a whole lot else, um, and when they're missing players from the eleven, obviously we saw it be Hamas Rodriguez earlier on this season, we saw Richarlison when he got sent off, missing out, and um, today it was Luca Dean, who obviously last week had a fantastic game, whipping and crosses all day, and he was out today with an injury they just missed him so much. Not having that player sort of dink balls in and just constantly providing pressure and threat and keeping all the defenders and midfielders on the other team on their toes meant that Leeds were just able to play a really, not even, lazy is not the correct word, but they were playing the game at their pace um, and they were very much dictating the tempo of the game. Um, Dominic calvert Learn had a really weirdly quiet game. Normally he has such a lethal instinct but just didn't look like he had it here today. Uh, and, you know, but there were a lot of shots in the game. There were 28 shots, but the game ended 1 0. So part of that was good keeping, but I think it was just a lack of finishing quality, which is not what we've come to expect from Everton.
2: No, it's not. And I think, you know, they've, they've really struggled not only with players coming in and out, but also the resulting tactical changes that that has brought. Yeah, they're, they're trying this new system now, which is just three at the back. But it also means that their wing backs were Tom Davies and Alex Iwobi to, um on the weekend. And we talked yeah. about how Alex Awobi had a great game, but. He can't play there regularly. He can't shift from the right to the left like a seasoned fullback. And Tom Davies, to my knowledge, has never played as a white man.
0: No, no, never. He's, he's exclusively played as a midfielder or a defensive midfielder. And yeah, Iwobi had a really good game, one really good game last week. And then not only is he put there again and expected to perform, but he actually gets swapped over to the other side. It's like, Christ. He's expecting yeah, a lot. Yeah,
2: it, it's it's going to be a weird season for Everton because I think they're just going to be so like on and off, um, up and down as they fire all cylinders one week and then uh, lose one player in defence and suddenly they're uh, playing like a completely different side.
1: Um, but definitely, just, you know, their defence is where it all goes wrong. And you know, this this week they had their preferred front three of Hamas Rodriguez, Dominic Avalon and Richarlison, and they
2: still couldn't create that same level of pressure that they hope to all the time.
1: They couldn't really get the ball going in midfield with a flat two. They definitely needed, you know, a bit of the energy and dynamism that someone like Andre Gomes brings. Uh, he was on the bench today instead. Adelaide um, Adlai Ducuri is a great player and is really physical, but he's not. He's not a creator and he's not a distributor. He's ball carrying and he
2: is a destroyer. And without someone with a little bit more finesse in midfield, they they really struggled.
0: Yeah, and it, this is the thing. He works really, really well in the three-man midfield, Ducori. But Everton's team is kind of like having all the pieces of like a, a glass bowl. And if you have all of the pieces, you can stick it together and it'll hold water. As soon as one piece falls out, it just starts leaking. And, you know, we've seen that with so many different And the reason I think it's such a shame is because we have seen teams in the Premier League before... Do really well with one established eleven. Obviously, Leicester, when they won the league, are that one big example because they had pretty much one eleven and didn't really deviate from it. But there are loads of other teams that have had more or less one solid, you know, selection um, that's carried them through. For example, Sheffield United last season. And I just think it's really unfortunate uh, for Everton that they've kind of had that period come around for them at arguably the worst time in any season since the league started to have only, like, 11 starting players, um, where, you know, injuries are just more prevalent than ever, everyone's knackered, we didn't have a break from last season, so, you know, maybe they should have prepared better for the, you know, damage that was going to be done to their squad. But it, it's just a bit, it feels for me because they could have, if the stars had aligned and this had happened like three years ago, something in like a normal season, done really well.
1: Yeah, true. I mean, I guess, you know, the one thing that they can uh, take solace in is that they're only in two competitions this year, which is the Premier League and the Carabao Cup. No uh-huh. European football, no FA Cup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'll at least be hoping that they can start maybe 25, 30 games with, with the right side. But apart from that, they're going to struggle as yeah. we have seen. Um, I like the analogy of the glass bowl. Uh, speaking of, I think that Leeds showed that they are not the glass cannon that we have suggested. Glass cannon being you know, someone that is really good at attacking and, and not so good at defending.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because Leeds, even at this point in the season 10 games in, have showed us so many disparate styles of setting up. And I think part of that is because Marcelo Bielsa is an actual lunatic and is probably thinking like crazy stuff in his head all the time but we have seen these games where they go out and they look really 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 impressive going forwards but absolutely hopeless at the back And then we've seen games like this where they've, you know, really, really shored up games. Obviously, Man City was another example where they can just put together a really, really, really sturdy display and just get that one goal that they need. And they could have maybe got more. Bamford had a little bit of a misfiring game, but ultimately they got the goal they needed and and, and came away with the result. I think Melier is going to be one of their players of the season by the time everything's said and done. He had another really good game today, making loads of great saves. And yeah, this is the kind of performance you want to see from a team that believes themselves to be part of the furniture in the Premier League already, yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, there were definitely some uh, some pretty wild decisions,
1: um, which you know, I guess we we've kind of come to um, be uh, be accustomed to. But I think um, his use of people like Stuart Dallas is really interesting. You know, operating him from everything from a fullback to an attacking midfielder as his apparent whim decides, um, and yeah, I think uh, they. Hopefully, can can put it all together and become a master of all trades, because as you said, all of the tactical setups are there and needed to beat different types of teams. They just don't necessarily manage to pull them out every week.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's very true. But um, you know, an interesting result for both sides. Uh, another one that was. A low-scoring game, but a very important result, obviously, for West Brom, uh, being uh, one of the few wins you'll expect them to get this season, based on how they've done so far, um, beating Sheffield United 1-0, and Conor Gallagher, who, in my opinion, uh, was denied a penalty last week, got on the score sheet this week, so I was happy to see him get that, uh, and it was a really nice goal as well, really nice ball, he of just was really far out and basically passed it from outside the box into the far corner uh which i thought was a really really nice uh goal and sam johnston had another fantastic game uh he made some really good saves aaron ramsdale did as well so some positives for both sides uh but west brom slightly the better team today
1: they were indeed yeah i definitely had some um, mixed emotions as i watched um Ollie McBurney drive it high and hard, and Sam right Johnson bar, right? parry it over the bar. Because I love Sam Johnson, but I just want Sheffield to do well. I just want them to be happy, um, and they definitely are not at the moment. Um, yeah, big game for West Brom. They'll definitely be happy to have, have gone away with with the um, the three points. When you know Sheffield really grew into the match and posed a lot of attacking threat. Then they had um, more shots on goal more shots on target, uh, more possession. So, I mean, I think West Run would be really happy to have kept a clean sheet here.
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, um, well-deserved. Sheffield did have a lot of chances, but there were some good saves by, uh, obviously, Sam Johnson, as I mentioned, but there were also just some that Sheffield, there was like an own goal rebound at the very end that was put over the bar, I think, again, by McBurney, which was just, you know, if you're going to miss those, you deserve to lose games. Very true. Uh, sure before we f- go into our last games, we are going to look at an upset of the week and then resolve getting game. Uh, our upset of the week this week is actually a pair of games, both which it happened sure in the FA Cup and saw uh, a pair of non-league sides get some really, really, really interesting uh, exposure. The first was uh, the National League North side Chorley, who came from 1-0 down against League One side Peterborough to win 2-1. They showed a lot of guts to fight back in the game. They celebrated uh, the song, uh, video even, that came out on Twitter of them celebrating in the dressing room to the song uh, Someone Like You by Adele, which is quite funny. And they got interviewed and they were like, it's not really a traditional football victory song, is it? And the captain was like, it is a banger, you can't deny that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean it's is—it's a shouty song you know
2: you, um, you,
0: put, you put it on and you, you
2: can dance to that for sure
0: and you know Pe- peterborough are a very solid outfit obviously a very you know historically established team they're currently second in league one they're managed by darren ferguson who's sir alex ferguson's son so you know no small feat to be you know beating them especially from one nil down so that was obviously very exciting and part of the magic of the cup that we all love
2: Yeah, so um, it's not the first scalp they've had so far in the FA Cup. They actually also beat Wigan in the first round of the FA Cup earlier this month. And they had also played the um, Adele song. um, And the video got up to, I think, almost a million views on Twitter. So it's clearly the, the song of the day, of the month, of the year for Chorley. And, you know, hopefully they can keep going in the FA Cup.
0: Well, they've drawn Wayne Rooney's Derby County in uh, the next round, so they've sort of eliminated one Man United connection in Darren Ferguson. Next, they're going to have Wayne Rooney, Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. And the other one... So the other one is a team that were slightly less well-known and the whole thing got slightly less coverage, but I'm imagining now because of who they've got in the draw, it's going to suddenly get a lot more coverage. Uh, and that was a team called Marine FC who are in the eighth tier. They're actually only the second team ever from that level of non-league to reach the third round of the FA Cup. So in the entire history of the cup competition... Um, you know, only one other team have done it. They beat to Waterloo 1-0, who play in the National League South. Um, And of course, to Waterloo had their own Magical Cup moment back in 2008 when they lost 5-2 to Liverpool but were ahead twice. Uh, And that was a team that had the likes of Dirk Kaut and uh, Fernando Torres in it, although I think Torres didn't play on the day. Um, What's really interesting about this, aside from the fact that they, you know, are in the eighth tier, is that they've just had the draw for the third round and they're playing Spurs. Uh, And even funnier than that is that the draw has meant that the game is a home game for Marine so Jose Mourinho and some of the Spurs squad are going to be heading over to Rossett Park
1: which is just hilarious I mean I for one
2: cannot wait Um, it's got a capacity of um, 2,800 fans uh, which is I think they might
0: make capacity on that day
2: (laughs) there's every chance Karen there's every chance Um, but yeah I mean such a crazy thing to have done I mean the history of the FA Cup has been so rocky, rock and rolly, up and down. And, you know, it's always been a, a competition where anything can happen. And to only be the second side to do something is a massive achievement. Um, yeah. And, you know, they defended so resolutely on the day. They frustrated having and Waterlooville so much. I think they, their first team, their starting lineup, got eight yellow cards between them, which is pretty wild. Um, it's, it's grit, though, isn't it? Absolutely. It's grit, yeah. Props to them. I, for one, can't wait to see Jose Mourinho in the dugout at the Marine Travel Arena.
0: Um, <laughs> It'll be amazing. And, and can you imagine if they manage to score? I mean, it's pretty safe to say we, we all have a fairy tale of football, but pretty safe to say they're going to get blown back. But if they manage to score a goal, I mean, the Haven to Waterlooville game, you know, they scored two goals against Liverpool, which at the time was and, and still is an amazing achievement and seen as like one of the big cult football games. If Marine managed to get a goal against a Jose Mourinho side, some fans of that stadium might have pass out you <laughs> it's surely like yeah you've peaked as a, as a club
2: um just what, a, what an achievement it would be what an achievement it already is um and yeah they've earned it to get you know all of this coverage and you know some of some of the great players and managers in chosen review to come and um, play against them so all credit to them. it's something you absolutely love to see
0: Absolutely, you do. Uh, now we're going to go to guessing games. So, Rupert, do you want to read out your clues again for any listeners? I've got them written down here. Uh, but I, And I think I have an idea as to who this is. For a very weird reason, I'll walk you through why, why I think I know who this is. Okay, yeah, I was
2: hoping um, I had provided enough kind of clues to build the picture around him. Uh, so my clues are, he played with Diego Foreman, Didier Drogba, Zlatan. Brahimovich and Iker Casillas. He had a nickname of the sniper. He is the most capped player for his country of all time. And he also once said that he could have played at the same level as Messi or Ronaldo, but he loved wine just a little bit too much. Cameron, what is your guess?
0: So, for me, this was one of those funny ones where the clues worked for me, but I don't think they worked in the way that they were intended to. I was looking at the Messi and Ronaldo, but for wine comment, and immediately that just took my mind to someone who was French or Spanish or Italian, uh, you know, the the real big wine nations. So it was only sort of when I started to not really consider that and look at the other ones. And weirdly, it was because he'd given me that his nickname was The Sniper, and I was thinking, like, sniper, sniper, but Who? who's a player like that? Is he a striker? No. And I was just, in my head, I was thinking about Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure <laughs> that this player is also called Wesley because that made me think of, I was like, Wesley Snipes, Wesley Sniper, Wesley Schneider. <laughs> and then I looked at the players that you'd given me and I was like, pretty sure he played with Diego Forlan, pretty, sure pretty sure he played with Slatter. pretty sure he played with Casillas. Did he overlap with Droper at Chelsea? Potentially, I'm not 100% confident. Uh, so yeah, that's my guess, Wesley Schneider.
2: Um, well, I have bad news for you, which is that Wesley Schneider never played for Chelsea.
0: Ah, God, I'm thinking of Iron Robin, the other Baldy. That's, the, <laughs> all those years ago. So when did he play with Drogba, if that's him? Is, is it, it him, is personally? Him
2: and he played with Drogba at Galatasaray.
0: Ah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I couldn't I, I think when he played with Droper and I was like, did he play for Chelsea? Did he not? I no, he played for him, him and I, and Rob both played at Real Madrid, and were two little eggs in the same carton. So I, I just mixed them up yeah. there.
2: <laughs> they they were indeed. Um, so yeah, you got a little bit lucky with that one. Um, I don't think that's what I was going for with the nickname. Um, nope. I, I don't uh, think that's what the media were going for when they gave him the nickname either. I I think it was to do with his ability to pick a good pass out and score a good goal from Reigns. But I might be wrong. I've, I've been wrong before.
0: I've absolutely failed upwards there. And, and you just, you love to see it. You, you love to see someone getting something right for all the wrong reasons.
2: Yeah, very nice. Um, no, I mean, what a player. I think, um, obviously, that kind of, that, that style of quote I also thought might throw you just because it's the kind of quote you'd attribute to someone like Nicholas Bender, not mm. someone who was, you know, at one point, the best football player performing in, of that year, which was 2010, where he scored won the, the treble with um, Inter Milan and mm-hmm. led his national side to the World, um, World Cup final. But, yeah, I mean, what, what a player in his day. Uh, definitely, <laughs> probably could have achieved even better things if he had been a little bit more reserved with his uh, partying in Madrid, but um, still a, a player with a great legacy and one to remember
0: that's the funny thing about that quote, cause, cause you are right. The kind of player typically who says something like, Oh, I could have been as good as Messi or Ronaldo if I didn't like wine could never have been as good as Messi or Ronaldo, wine or no. But Schneider, maybe while not quite at the same level as Messi or Ronaldo, did have a period where he was, you know, one of, if not the best players in Europe. Um, and certainly was in that sort of mix for, for a long time. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, that definitely threw me. And also just the wine. I, I wasn't thinking Dutch.
2: Not not well. I don't know if Dutch Dutch people do like wine very much. So
0: I feel like it's a beer yeah. nation more than wine. But I could be wrong there. Um, feel free to email me and tell me I'm wrong if you're a a Dutch wine drinker.
2: You, I think they, they do produce wine, not a lot, but they do they do make some. Um, huh. Well, there you go. Any, anyway, um,
0: looking at. Uh, our next game, which was Leicester and Fulham, a real upset in this game as Fulham managed to get the win. They did, and what a
2: result for them. I mean, we've talked about how they are searching for a win uh, this season. And I don't think anyone really expected it to be the first win against Leicester
0: away from home yeah no it's weird because Leicester have had a really up and down season and so in a lot of ways it's kind of fitting that Fulham beat them um obviously you know they've beaten Man City 5-2 they beat Leeds United 4-1 uh, and then they lost to Liverpool last week which was everyone was sort of thinking certainly I thought it was going to be a closer game and it it ended up not being so much um and then you know today here they've looked like one of the better sizes this season they've lost to one of the sizes look worse this season and lost quite comfortably as well. Um, I will say that the penalty was that was given earlier on uh, was kind of the same thing, basically the same incident that was denied last week in the Villa game. You know, where a player gets like a little micron of, of contact on the ball, but then there's a whole thing. So I actually think that this would be the right decision, but was given wrong against Villa. But according to the rules that the Premier League have established, this would be the wrong decision, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Uh, um, yeah, that, that one but aside from that no they look really really good uh, there's another thing last week we talked about how they really really need to start building that confidence and that consistency in the midfield around Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa and Ruben Loftus-Cheek who in my mind you know, in my mind were the two best players for Fulham today uh, and is was really really good at carrying the ball forwards a lot of times including for both of their goals he was the one who started that move and he was getting the ball from deep bringing it forwards covering a lot of distance just using his pace and physicality to, to cover ground and get it out of dangerous areas for them and for Four dangerous areas against Leicester. Um, Luckman also looked really good. It was a really nice finish. Um, the only thing that I thought was maybe a slight negative for Ful- not even necessarily for Fulham, but for a particular Fulham player, was uh, at two-one in the ninety-fourth minute. Casper uh, Schmeichel came up for a corner, um, which is you know another thing we always love to see because sometimes it ends up with these absolute you know memorable moments. We sure um, do, but. Fulham clear their lines, and Schmeichel is still in the opposition box, the goal is completely open, and Mitrovic has the ball, and he's running, he's like 20 yards behind the halfway line, 10 yards behind the halfway line, he's on the halfway line, he's 40 yards out from goal, and he just doesn't take a shot. And he instead plays it over, he lays it off to Ola Aina, who's a right-back, who is basically at the same level of the pitch as him, who then took a shot first time, but unfortunately by then, Leicester had had time to recover and, and, and could deflect it. And I was just thinking that, and I was like, if you're a striker... How is your every instinct not screaming at you to take a shot? Especially because it was the 94th minute, so worst case scenario, you just get some yardage, the ball goes out for a goal kick, and, and the game is over. But why would you not want to, A, score a goal anyway if you're a striker? But especially for Mitrovic, who, as we had that stat the other day, just hasn't scored from open play with his feet in God knows how long. Um I just thought it was really weird. That's just like the exact opposite of what you want your striker to be thinking.
1: Well, but it's it's so indicative of the level of confidence that he will be playing at the moment, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, you, you you whack that every... I was, like, screaming at the TV. I was like, hit it, hit it, hit it. You hit that every single time. Even if you're, like, a midfielder or a defender, you hit it when the keeper's off his line. There's no downside at that time in the match. And so for a striker to not do it, I was like, what the hell, man? I mean, you,
2: you would think so, yeah. I mean, so I, um, I actually uh, was interested by that as well, and I looked up how many um, long-range goals he's scored in his career. And I don't know what exactly... Um, I, the the statistic that I found was Transfer Market. And they measured their like, different types of goal. They have a setting for long-distance kick. Mm. And I don't know if that just means outside the box, or if it's 30 yards, or how they qual- qualify that. But mm. he hasn't scored a single long-range goal in his career, in his entire career.
0: But all the more reason for this. This would this would have been such a good thing. Firstly, just to get a goal. Secondly, to get a goal for his own confidence sake and, and to sort of break the duck and not scoring from open play. Now I'm learning to break the, his duck of having never scored from range. What was he... How did he not go for that? <laughs> this was your time. <laughs> the stars aligned for you, Alexander, and, and you didn't take the chance. It is. Um,
2: yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's sad. I mean, at least took a shot. Uh, at least he had the right idea. But um, sad that the, the moment had gone. I think the other, the other sad thing that I noticed from Fulham was that they're finally putting in a good performance. And it was with their captain, Tom Kearney, on the bench.
0: Yeah. No, no, they, they did look really good today. I think maybe it is partly to do with that midfield just having a bit more focus. Ruben Loftus-Cheek played uh, in the 10 today. Uh, and uh, Zambou Gisa was in the pivot with... Um, Harrison Reed, Harrison Reed, yeah. And, yeah, no, it, it just looked really, really sturdy. They got a goal very early on. Leicester had a lot of chances, but didn't make any of them count. And Fulham just responded really well. Um, yeah, look, I mean,
2: the, Fulham have a good squad. I think they've got a couple of really talented players. We've talked about how good Alfonso Areola is. But Olejna, again, you mentioned him earlier, great player. I think he's got a lot of potential... He's had a really good couple of seasons in um, Italian league. Ruben lost his cheeks there for the year, and Geese is looking really strong. Carvalho, a bit on and off so far, but he also has you know the potential to be a solid um, Premier League player. And they've got they've got the makings of a, of a decent team there. Um,
0: yeah, they've just got to work on the parts that work and and try and weed out the parts that don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, good way to put it.
0: Wrapping up our game week, we had West Ham versus Aston Villa, which was another game with showcases from a lot of talented players, um, definitely a turnaround from where they were last season. Um, the game started off with a really, really nice delivery um, from the corner, perfectly delivered to Ogbonna at the back post, uh, and then we got a Grealish banger to level things uh, quite quickly afterwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't classify it as a banger. I have a problem with deflected shots. I just don't think they're good goals, categorically, but... You know, he was an absolute live wire all game. And I don't want to take away from his performance by saying that.
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on the kind of deflection. But, you know, it's one of those things about, you know, making your own luck, isn't it? Sometimes you get really, really lucky, but you wouldn't get lucky if you hadn't taken that shot on.
1: That's very true. Yeah, and West Ham definitely rode their luck uh, throughout the game as they gave away a penalty late on, which was missed by Ollie Watkins. It just feels like a lot of players at the moment are going for unbelievably good penalties and do they need to be perfect in the top corner like hitting the side netting as hard as possible every time I don't think so
0: they they really don't and I think it's one of those things obviously yes it's really I'm sure satisfying to get a crisp top corner penalty but most of the time if you put it like two-thirds to the left or two-thirds to the right and the keeper and you manage to send the keep the wrong way that's going in um I don't see why, you know, Neil Morpe obviously was the other one, Kevin De Bruyne, trying to put them like pinpoint in the in the one really, really far corner, which if you get that right, yeah, you're definitely gonna beat the keeper, but they've all missed. So
1: Well, yeah, they keep missing and also they keep just trying to do so much fancy stuff. Like if you watch Neil Morpe taking his penalty, he is trying to convince the goalkeeper so much that he's going one way, that he keeps looking hmm. there, he keeps looking there. He takes like three or four glances up as he goes for his shot, and then tries to put it in perfectly in the other corner and just misses. It's so stupid. You don't need to do both confuse the keeper and perfectly sink the penalty. You only need one of those.
0: Yes, it's definitely over-egging the pudding. Um, I thought Villa were a little bit unlucky in this game. I thought the second uh, goal they had that was disallowed at the very end was... Judged for offside, um, based on Ollie Watkins t-shirt line. And this is another thing that's come in very recently. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how this new bottom of the armpit rule came in. And what does that mean? Where does the, where is the bottom of the armpit? And now the terminology that I've heard used at least three times, um, by commentary teams is t-shirt line, which to me is just so bizarre because where your t-shirt ends on a short sleeve shirt, you can't score with that area of your body. And it used to be that the rule was you're only offside if it's a part of your body that can score and so so you know if you're running and your hand is you know outstretched and ahead of the defender that's not offside because that's fair play now if your arm is outstretched as it was here and also it was outstretched because Ogbonna was grappling with Oli Watkins and he was sort of tugging to to pull himself away which caused his arm to go out i just thought that that's not that's not a rule that's based in common sense for me it's really not
1: and you're absolutely right villa were definitely hard done by in this game i think it's just I, my heart sinks every time I see one of those stills on Twitter or popping up on my feed of just these ludicrously small lines being drawn. And it it does just defy belief that they are dictating the results of games every single week. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. I think um, Dean Smith has a reason to be annoyed and Villa could well have got one point or three on another day. Um, Mm. that being said, I think, you know, we both predicted that it was going to be a tough game for Villa. Um, you know, obviously West Ham only had two shots on target and managed to get two goals from them, but, you know, they definitely sunk in pretty well and like sat deep and absorbed the pressure effectively, kept quite a promising, like potent attack in recent weeks, pretty quiet. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, they they were very good, and all of, you know, two shots on target and two goals is, you know, maybe they you could say they got a little bit lucky with their chances, but I think that also speaks to how potent they were, you know, and how meaningful their attacks were. Obviously, the, the corner was perfectly delivered to O'Connor at the back post, it was a fantastic set-piece routine. And then, uh, Saeed Rama had a, just a lovely floated pass, uh, down to Jared Byrne. Uh, and I think there are some really, really exciting combinations in that team developing now, um, that, you know, give them a lot of different options and definitely give opposition teams a lot to think about.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, they're, they're a little bit hit and miss at the moment, West Ham, but they look like they're kind of getting some more ideas together. And Benrahma definitely looks like a good signing after his, um, hit and miss. <laughs> Uh, debut with um, what was it, a goal or an assist and also gave away a penalty?
0: (laughs) Yeah, an assist and then a penalty like in in back to back moments. Um, Moving into settling the score to wrap us up for this week last week's games uh, I'll rattle off the first five and then you can take the last five before we go into our uh, episode 25 uh, predictions. We started off with Palace Newcastle, which was uh 2-0 to Newcastle. I had gone for 1-0 uh, to Palace and you gone 1-0 for Newcastle. I think we got gone for 1-1 and we agreed to go either way. Yeah, um, we did. And fortunes favoured the route at this time, so Good that's a point to you. Great. Uh Brighton and Liverpool was 1-1. I predicted 2-0 to Liverpool and you predicted 3-1 to Liverpool, uh, but it ended up being 1-1. So both of us were two goals off and no points there. There um, you go. Man City versus Burnley was a big 5-0 smashing we both saw Burnley not scoring any goals uh, with you at 2-0 but I had the margin slightly higher at 4-0 uh, so point to me there Uh Everton Leeds we had uh both thought this was going to be a high scoring game and I'm still kind of surprised it wasn't because both teams have been known to be a bit leaky this season so I'd gone for 2-1 and you went for 3-3 Uh however as it ended 1-0 to Leeds I get the point there And the final one for my five is West Brom versus Sheffield, uh, which I had predicted a Sheffield win, 1-0, and you had said 1-1. The result was 1-0 to West Brom, so that's a point to you.
1: Excellent. It's a good start for me. It may go downhill from there, as Southampton-Manchester United was a bit of a roller coaster. I predicted 2-1 to Southampton. Um, You predicted 3-1 to Man U. It ended 3-2 in the end, so you got the turnaround. Well played. Um, I think that was um, when we talked about, you you know, you wanted to follow your hunches and it was definitely um, a hunch of two halves as you then went for the Manchester United win over the Southampton one. Um, Chelsea versus Tottenham, you predicted 2-1 to Tottenham. I predicted 2-1 to Chelsea, so neither of us get anything from that. Arsenal-Wolves, you had 2-2. I had 1-0 to Wolves. It was 2-1 to Wolves, so a point to you, but I'm a little disappointed with that because I did call the Wolves win, but we'll give mm. it give it to you. Leicester-Fulham, you had 3-0, I went for 2-1 to Leicester, it was 2-1 to Fulham, but I'm still going to claim a point for that. Last but not least is West Ham-Aston Villa, as we've just talked about. You predicted 2-1 to West Ham, which is the big three points. I thought it was going to end 1-1, um, so well played to you. That will definitely clinch it for you at a points
0: total of 6-3. 7-3, I think, actually. I've oh, got four, 4 correct, so yeah, I'll take that. And that is, uh, I think, maybe the first time I've got guessing game and settling the score in the, in the same. I might be wrong there, but uh, I'll take the double. Well done, my friend. Wesley
1: Snipes <laughs> <He> pulls through
0: <laughs> for you in your time of need. Uh, looking at our next games, we start off with Aston Villa versus Newcastle. I'm going to say 2-1 to Villa.
1: Um, I am going to go 2-1 to Newcastle. No, nah, I'm going to go 1-1. I'm going to go
0: 1-1. Nice, nice. Uh, Burnley-Everton. I weirdly see Burnley scoring here, um, just because Everton have been all over the place at the back, uh, but I think they're going to still get 3 because Burnley are Burnley, so I'm saying 3-1 Everton.
1: I'm going to go 2-1 Everton. I, I don't think they are as free-scoring as they normally are. It just feels like they don't quite have the balance that they once had in throughout the team, in their midfield especially. So I, I could see Burnley scoring as well, definitely. It looks like they're starting to pick things up. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. No more than zero points. Man City right. versus Fulham is next. And I mean, it's surely got to be a route, right?
0: I, I think so. I think it's going to be less of a route than Burnley. I think this is like the the bald rage was at maximum on on the sort of um, thermometer last week, and then this week it's still going to be a bit of a thrashing. But I think they're going to have calmed down a bit. I'm going to say three nil.
1: Okay, I'm going to go for three one. I think Fulham might get goal.
0: Oh, okay. Well, back us off. Um, West Ham versus Man United. What do you think of this one?
1: This is really one that I could see going either way because. Man U away from home. You never really know what you're going to get. Sometimes they'll beat West Brom. Sometimes, you know, they just completely collapse. Um, mm. So I am going to go for 2-1 to Man U.
0: I've gone for 2-2. You're
1: going to go for 2-2. Yeah, I think that, that'll that be a tough game for them.
0: Uh, Chelsea versus Leeds. I think Leeds have been really, really good against tough opposition this season. I think Chelsea... Um, like we discussed this episode, have maybe been a bit shy to chase the win in some of these tougher games when they should have, and so I can see them scoring a goal, getting equalised against, and then not having the killer instinct to finish the game off, uh, which for me puts it at 1-1.
1: 1-1. Well, you know, obviously Frank Lampard has a a big history with Marcelo Bielsa already, despite the fact that this is Bielsa's first year in the Premiership. I think that, you know, this is a bit of a grudge match at this point between the two managers. Mm. Um, as we've talked about, you know, uh, they're not necessarily fans of each other. I think it's going to be fiery and I think it's going to be 2 2. Uh,
0: we have West Brom and Crystal Palace after that, which I think is going to be another 1 1.
1: Yeah, it, it's got 1 1 written all over it, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I am going to go for. I almost want to go 0 0, but I'm going to go for a 1 0 West Brom win.
0: Okay. Um, what do you see happening Sheffield-Leicester? Sheffield versus Leicester,
1: again, it's so tricky because Leicester are so up and down at the moment Um, I think it's going to be 1-0 to Leicester
0: I'm going to say 2-0 um I don't think Sheffield score, but I, yeah, I think Leicester will get a couple here. But I agree, they've been turbulent lately, so it could go either way. Uh, Spurs versus Arsenal is a derby, and as we've you know discussed in the past, anything can happen in a derby. This could be a really, really shock Arsenal win. Obviously, based on form, the obvious answer is that Spurs win. Um, but you know, anything can happen in these games. I, despite that, I'm going to go for Spurs being at home in the form team, winning three nil.
1: Three 0 Wow. Okay, I'm going to go for two one. I think. While they have been informed, it's a it's a as you say, a match that people always turn up for.
0: Mm. Uh, Liverpool versus Wolves, I think will be two nil. I could see Wolves scoring, but at the same time, without Jimenez, it's going to be difficult. And Liverpool haven't been dreadful at the back lately, uh, despite the sort of cobbled together backline they've been, you know, coming out with. So I think yeah, two two nil.
1: It's really got a two nil written over it. That's definitely what I thought when I first looked at the fixture. I'm gonna change it up because you went two 0 I'll go three one to. Lib- All right. So do you then like to take
0: the last fixture so that I nick your result again.
1: <laughs> sure thing. Um, Brighton versus Southampton again. I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Both teams are pretty pretty on the up. I think um, and overperforming recently. I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go for two one to Brighton.
0: Mm, I've gone the other way. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Southampton. Um, so we'll see how that game ends up. Uh, Rupert, that seems like a great place to finish off for this week. Good to talk to you as always.
1: Cam, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone for listening.
0: Cheers, guys. Bye. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron MacDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.